Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three donuts in our donut box of things. The, you know what, this intro that I've been doing for ages, at, at, at some stage, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I like to... I, I've done it so many times now that sometimes when I deliver it, I can deliver it nice and fast and almost without thinking, which is how you'd want to open a podcast, isn't it? You know, a kind of like thoughtless, automatic, routinized word salad. Uh, but it occurs to me that that doesn't always engage you particularly. And uh, what can seem, what can feel like when you're saying it, sort of articulate and confident, actually has the kind of grating mildly irritating tone of a Wurlitzer announcer at the fun fair. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, get on the ride now. Arms inside the ride, please. Let's go. Yes. Uh, I, and, you know, it's uh, there is a certain articulacy and skill to that. I'm not, um, I'm not now, I'm not a gin. I'm not, I haven't taken a gin Wurlitzer riders, but um, I just feel like sometimes... It's quite good to not try so hard to be slick and just say, hello, how are you? Welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts. My name's Tim Clare. This is a show about writing and I talk about writing on the show and I talk about stories and I, if you're a writer or you're interested in writing or, you know, you like books or you just kind of want to sit with a bunch of writers, goodness knows why you'd want to do that. If you want to come and join us around the water cooler, you'd want to join us in the green room while we talk shop you're very very welcome how how are you how have you been this week how are you feeling where where's your head at look i i want to devote today's episode to an email i got um if you ever want to write to me uh then you are uh, most welcome uh, i've got um you there's a little button on my website my website's timclairpoet.co.uk i'll put a link to that in today's in the show notes of today's episode but if you go onto my website you know if you google tim Clare, i think it's one of the first things that comes up is my website and there's a um there's a little button that says contact me and you can click that and write to me some people send me their first 250 words of their story and if you do then i can look at it on a future episode. I would suggest that you listen to some of the episodes where I've critiqued people's stuff before you send me anything so you have a little bit of an idea of what to expect if you wanted to do that. A lot of people just let me know how they're getting on with their writing. Uh, if they're doing the writing courses that I've done, I've got two of those if you're not aware, the um, 100 Day Writing Challenge and the Couch to 80k Writing Bootcamp. They're both free podcast courses that you can just work through at any time and they have a 10 minute writing exercise in each of them and the timer in the episode. Sometimes people write to me to let me know how they're getting on with those. Sometimes people are just like, hi, I like the last episode, or could you do something about this? Or they've got writing questions that they'd like me to address on a future episode. Or they're just saying hello, or they're, you know, about something not to do with writing, uh, uh, you know, as long as you're <laughs> provided. And I actually don't mind feedback that is uh, criticism. That's okay. I Obviously, um, I, I like being garlanded with praise like any human being uh but i've had some useful feedback of things that i wasn't doing quite so well and and that's been good as well as long as you're not i hope it goes without saying but as long as you're not sending me outright abuse or something that's fine like i'd love to hear from people i i do read every single one 
I don't reply to every single one because I get too many to really have the time to meaningfully reply to all of them. But I really do genuinely read every single one and I appreciate them all. Anyway, I've got a... Um, and if there are you know specific questions that I can address in episodes, then I do often take those for future episodes. So I got an email the other week and it was kind of like felt felt, felt a bit heartbreaking really uh, and I, I know of uh, and I think maybe because it resonated with me but um, I thought I'd read it out and then that could be the topic of for today's episode so it, it, it starts hi Tim a good a solid opening a classic it's kind of yeah anyway I'm not going to critique the email that's not what I was going for here hi Tim I wonder if you had any thoughts on when to give up on writing. That's a very, very bold opening to, you know, obviously my attention had my attention. I know one of your main things is keep going, keep going. You can do this. But what if you can't? I've been going for nine years and had multiple books published by micro publishers. And I'm just not making any real progress. I feel like the industry has broken me to the point where I don't even know if I enjoy writing anymore. I don't enjoy doing things for their own sake. When I paint, I like having a goal for the things I'm painting. When I write, I like to go, I'm doing this with this piece of writing. I'll stop there because this could get far too long, far too quickly. But I don't think enough people talk about giving up and when that's the right thing to do. People talk about how in any creative industry, you could have the single best piece of art ever created. And unless you get exceptionally lucky, you won't break through the crowds of other artists, all hoping to break through. Best wishes, Michael. So... The main question, just to recap, is I wonder if you had any thoughts on when to give up on writing. And it's, I think, Michael, thank you for this. It's, and thank you for being so honest and sharing and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Um, and it's a really good question. And it's a question that a, a lot of writing commentators, I, I, I get annoyed because they give pat answers and they're often drawing sometimes they're drawing from their experience which is not indicative of everyone's experience right and you know you you cannot live on instagram slogans you can't live on you know you make your own luck it's kind of air punching american boosterism which you know, I have a suspicion. I'm always like, I think being a very online person in progressive spaces tends to make one slightly wary of these things because we're always supposed to point towards social conditions as being the primary limiting factor of anyone's success, right? And, you know, it's not an absolute, but the idea is, look, what barriers are placed in people's way? How are we supporting them? And to go like you make your own luck feels like a tiny little hop, skip and a jump from if you're not successful, it's your fault. People on welfare are feckless. And I know that that's not what people are saying, right? And I, 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 I recognise that that is a... That's unfair to ascribe those beliefs to someone saying, you know, you can't publish a novel that you haven't written, which is kind of like a truism, but it is true. Like you have to write it if you are counting yourself out before you've attempted it. Yeah, sure. So I want to be a bit careful about that because it's it's easy to get into 
discourse Jenga where you're continually sliding blocks out from different people's arguments and making all these kind of crazy predictions and inferences about what someone really means or constantly slippery sloping people's arguments and saying well if you say you make your own luck then you're you're saying that you're you know you're erasing all the reason all the institutional barriers that exist and and maybe it's just because someone's doing a tweet right that's supposed to pick people up that evening and and yeah they don't have room in that tweet for a billion footnotes and qualifiers that would be a more charitable way of looking at it and of course we don't because of the world we live in many of us you know have been burnt by being charitable about people when it turns out they don't have charitable intentions so you kind of start doing pattern recognition around people's statements and and, and trying to predict who is secretly nasty and I, I get it right I, I I understand to an extent to the extent someone in my position can understand that that we, we, we're constantly trying to check who's a good person and stuff and that these kind of purity tests are, are not necessarily because we're all ruled by mob mentality but because vulnerable people have been hurt before um and it's not a great state of affairs but it, it it's you know it's part of how the world is when you know it's, things aren't equal anyway i've kind of got slightly sidetracked but like it, it, it it's a tricky question and i am going to go forth and answer it i just want to lay out at the beginning i wonder if you had any thoughts on when to give up on writing it seems like a, like one of the most taboo subjects like how many writers would be comfortable st stepping up and going i think you need to give up you know that's to invite this kind of accusation that you are trying to you're punching down, you're trying to pick off the competition. You're implicitly like elevating yourself because it's kind of like if you can't hack it, like I did, that you need to, you know, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen style thing. I do see those takes sometimes where people say, you need to have a thick skin if you're going to be a writer. You need to be persistent. You need to be bullheaded. You need to be large souled. Do you need to be tough not to take criticism you have to be you have to want to do writing if the roof of your house caved in you'd, you'd still prioritize your writing all these things that make writers out to be these special sociopaths basically that i, I think is a really toxic way i hate that word sorry but it's a really unhealthy way of talking about any kind of uh work ethic right that you should be be prepared to work yourself to the bone because it's a hard business and if you can't cope with it being hard get out and do something easier it's a it's for special people like me or you know it's for dopes like me who couldn't imagine doing anything else so sometimes they'll kind of like you know they'll slightly temper it by suggesting that you'd have to be an idiot to want to be a writer but hey if you're an idiot come and join me over here with the other idiots the beautiful idiots and i i don't know i don't want to read into what people are saying but all of those things are, are difficult and promote a bunch of i think silly unhelpful and unhealthy tropes about writers being you know tinged with madness that writers should be unhappy that that's what fuels creativity that writers should overwork themselves that writers should be happy with working long hours for little or nothing 
because that's what writing is. You know, you shouldn't... That The idea that part of the romantic dream of being a writer is having poor conditions and not being paid wages that we would consider are necessary for supporting a basic dignified life all of those things that we kind of roll up into this romantic dream of being a writer but it's kind of it's kind of like beneath the living wage line that's the idea it's this life that you that exists beneath the the line of a living wage way when you look at the society of authors um in the uk they're um, the surveys of writers' incomes, you see writers often living below the line for a living wage. But then there's some writers who make hundreds of thousands or millions. So it's like near poverty. And I, I'll use the term po- poverty advisedly, right? I don't, I'm not using poverty as kind of like a, just a synonym for not having much spare cash. I mean, like actual, you can't afford food and accommodation levels of of low income uh, so there's a there's a bunch of writers that are like that and then there's a few who basically win the lottery and make tons so it's it's incredibly poor working conditions but with a lot but with a lottery system to kind of jazz it up uh, and 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 that's not very healthy and I've often you know had a thought about how ethical it is to for writers to not talk about how difficult it is to be a writer i've often wondered how ethical it is for writers to really to for professional authors to really talk about the position they're in without acknowledging that most people don't get published and then a lot of those who do make very little money out of it and so if they are making a living they're like the one percent of the one percent probably a bit more than one percent but probably a bit less than one probably less than one one percent of people who try writing a novel get it published um, in a traditional way but probably more than one percent of people who get a novel published are able to live off their earnings the point being it's 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 really difficult and and what do you what do you say with people with a story burning inside of them fucking stop you know sit on your dreams go do something else because it's too difficult that seems very honest but like if you're already a novelist like i am and i turn around to people and go don't fucking do this it's shit like on one level i think that's quite sincere on one level that is sincere there's lots of reasons why the industry is shit for writers but you know in lots of ways it's skewed towards a lot of celebrities and a few authors making a ton of money and then the rest not making very much at all it you are living from contract to contract you you know you basically you basically have built a little mum and pop kind of corner store on top of an active volcano and you don't know what day that volcano is going to erupt and engulf everything you've worked for and you have nothing. And that's not a joke. That's not a joke. That's not 
that that's um, that you know I that's genuinely how it is and the thing is that the writers who I know around me who have just gone I can't write a novel again I can't do it it made me miserable who did one novel and it did very well wrote one book and it did very well and I'm not talking about any one particular person here I've seen this again and again wrote one book and it did very well wrote a second book it did not do very well and they're completely disillusioned who had an editor who really loved their work who then left the company uh, the publishers halfway through a book that they wrote coming out and the new editor didn't like the stuff they were doing and asked them to make changes they weren't happy with and they had a really stressful difficult time and it really soured them on getting published on people who had stayed had editors who who stayed with them uh, and and then didn't like the new direction they wanted to take their work in on people who have been very very successful and that success has not gone away but are really burned out because they don't like what they're writing anymore uh, all of those things happen and the thing is that you won't hear a lot of that in interviews because authors are trying to project a sense of competency and success and the ones that burn out and disappear don't get interviewed because they're no longer promoting themselves as writers and those are the people I just talk to casually they're friends who have stopped writing And and one always thinks maybe it's just a hiatus. You know, I stopped writing fiction for 10 years after having my breakdown. As I, as I started, I started talking about it a bit like a kind of folly. I've had commissioned someone to build me in the back garden, a little, a little ruined chateau, my breakdown. But I stopped writing fiction for 10 years after that. So I always think people could, I always, you know, have a slight prejudice that people are going to sneak back to writing when, it, it, you know, it's like the Catholic Church that they're never, you, you, you never really leave. You become a, you become a lapsed author, but God has you on a kind of red thread that um, slowly pulls you back in. I don't know whether I'm confusing two metaphors there because red, a red thread is also the, the, the thread that links two lovers, isn't it, in kind of, in, in Japanese I've seen it in manga that's my understanding of it right so I'm going to back away from those two mixed analogies but the point being that's another phrase I use quite a lot during these talks isn't it the point being my point is it's difficult and it's hard and it's a legitimate and sensible and brilliant question Michael when should I give up now I, there's a really funny thing that I've heard Mark Maron, the podcaster and comedian, say a few times, which is like when he's talked about quitting stand-up, it's like you think you're going to quit stand-up, but who do you quit to? Like, wh who's the boss? Like, <laughs> like, where do you hand in your notice? Here's the thing. You can't give up writing in some final, in some final way that you, there's no bridge that you can burn that actually that actually ends it do you know what i mean like the, this idea that you can give up and and there's that kind of finality and you've walked away is a red herring right you i i i'm you can stop 
you can pause, you can cease, but the possibility of writing, of going back to it, will always be there until you pass away, right? Like the, 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 your ability to make stories, it always exists. And actually, a lot of people who haven't formally given up writing sort of dally and stay away from it and hem and also there'll be people listening who this resonates with but who've never gone I'm going to give up writing but who tragically have not touched anything in ages and who want to write but have effectively given up but you can always come back like you 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 can't divorce writing in some final way I'd like to one of the reasons this really resonates with me is I wrote a whole fucking book on it, uh, which you may be familiar with. Um, my first book was a nonfiction book and a kind of memoir about publishing and writing called We Can't All Be Astronauts, which is exactly about this. Feeling the many are called but few are chosen. Problem of writing. What if all your life from when you were very little you thought you wanted to be an astronaut now we know that very very few people can are allowed to do that but what if it's like in your heart it feels like your destiny you spend your whole life working towards it and then you just can't be one or what if you always wanted to be a footballer and it was just in your heart and you, you were passionate about it and you did everything and then you can't be one at what point point do you because if you give out if you stop pursuing your dream you definitely like you've 100 percent mean you can't do it and you've eliminated that uncertainty do we tell people to give up on their dreams that seems like a bad thing to say but if you devote your whole life to something that you're never going to be probably won't be able to do the thing is we can't quite know can we you could have been you using that time towards some, some other end towards some other goal so it's a reasonable thing, and it's not entirely negative. But I, I want to—I I thought I might read out a couple of bits from my book, um, only because I think it will probably be more coherent than now. There's there's lots of things in this book that I'm sort of less happy with. Gosh, years and years later, you know, I think when I was starting to write it, it was probably 15 years ago. So obviously, I hope I've matured, and there's some bits of the writing that. You know, I I think I've got better at writing. And there's some jokes that feel poorly judged now that I'm. I wish I hadn't used. Um, that just seem a bit crass, and that's fine. You know, we hopefully we develop from our books. You know, and we we grow. And I am, you know, I think it's probably a good sign if you sometimes look back at older pieces of work and say, "Well, I do that differently now. I've I've I've, I've grown as a person. This is not who I am now." Um, I just thought I'd read a couple of short bits because they kind of touch on this and it kind of reminded me of what I think when I was... So I, the book is kind of about me wanting to get published and seeing all my friends do really well and me doing really badly and then having a breakdown and then getting dumped and then moving back in with my parents and not being qualified for anything except writing because that's what I'd spent my entire time at university studying and not seeming to be able to write a decent novel seeing people around me being hugely successful becoming chronically depressed and trying to work out what to do with my life and I, I spoke to 
people in publishing. I spoke to authors. I spoke to aspiring authors as well and trying to figure out what we do and what the right thing is because we have lots of myths about and by myths I don't mean things that are false. I mean kind of archetypal stories and narratives about the underdog who keeps striving and then kind of breaks through and is successful. We have lots of stories about that, about the person who beats the odds, about the person who keeps going. We don't have many stories about the person who keeps going and they should have stopped. And they're kind of crushed by it. Our society, our culture has is less fond of those kind of stories for obvious reasons, I think. And it's tricky because what do you want to say to people? Give up on your dreams? So here, I'll just read a short section from the book. I grew from teenager to adult with this strong internalised narrative about how my life was supposed to play out. And if you have a robust faith in a personal story and your own destiny, when it becomes obvious that things aren't going to happen that way, the kickback's a killer. You've screwed up. Your heart feels like the black space behind the game over screen. If you really believe that you were given the requisite tools and opportunities to achieve your ambitions, that you were meant to be a golden success, then this failure is utterly your fault. It's a double whammy. You don't get to live your dreams and you're fucking useless. There's a shadow side to believing the universe is a benign and equitable place. It's comforting to think we'll reap what we sow, but if life is fair, it follows that everyone deserves the misfortune they receive too. To an extent, we're all prone to this kind of distorted thinking. Studies have shown that drivers who are demonstrably at fault in a fatal collision, because they were drunk, for example, or they fell asleep at the wheel, recover faster and are less likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder than drivers who couldn't have done anything to avoid the crash. The at-fault drivers know they exhibited an obvious wrong behaviour, which in future they can take measures to avoid. However, the not-at-fault drivers didn't make a mistake, so there's no action they can take to eliminate the risk of a repeat. Getting back behind the wheel, they're acutely aware of a that a fatal accident could happen anytime, anywhere, no matter how fastidious their road safety. Indeed, the only way to be absolutely sure of avoiding a collision is to stop driving altogether, which many people do. It's why those who've suffered sudden traumatic incidents often become severely agoraphobic. The outside world feels like a sprawl of uncontrollable variables and potential disasters. Casting round for threats gets very tiring very quickly. Far better to sit in a locked room with your back to the wall in a sequestered environment with minimal surprises. In some ways, agoraphobics have hold of a truth most of us are willfully blind to. We have considerably less control than we care to admit. When you start writing your magnum opus, you become like the crazy guy building an ark in his back garden. Sure, people will laugh. That's the whole point, goddammit. But one day, oh, the flood. Oh, the soggy vindication. Of course, actually caulking the hull or sanding splines is a pretty tedious task, so you may not have gotten round to it yet, but that's okay. The ark is your statement of intent. And whenever your boss gives you a dressing down at work or you look at your bank statements and feel sick, you can always head out back and hammer a few nails into the stern. Whenever your microwave dinner and solitary evening in front of the television leaves you feeling hollow and bereft, you can always put on your captain's hat and watch yourself making salty sea dog faces in the bedroom mirror. 
Whenever you're kept awake listening to your neighbours making noisy love to speed garage after midnight, you can imagine their bloated, mollusk-crusted corpses drifting with the current, bumping gently against the prow of your fine, broad boat. But keeping the fantasy alive means never testing it against reality. That was my mistake. I finished my arc, stood back and waited for the rain. And waited. And waited. So that might seem like a not very helpful bit to read out because um, it's not very cheery. But I only bring it up just to emphasise that I really get where you're coming from. This feeling of lack of control. This feeling that maybe your shit, maybe the world is shit. Either, either way, you know, the thing that you want is out of your control. And at what point are you kind of just banging your head against a brick wall? At what point do you learn to give up? At what point are you not getting the message that the world is repeatedly telling you? At what point are you a gambling addict who is continually ploughing more and more time and money and precious years into something that you can never win at you know you 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 you, you've said michael um one of your main things is keep going keep going you can do this but what if you can't that's what you said now i should say i said you can do this but when i say that i mean you can do the next bit of writing in your notebook you can explore some aspect of your creativity i wouldn't ever want my exhortations keep going you can do this to be like a whiplash cracking across the flesh between your shoulder blades forcing you to march onwards through the desert heat never make it a rod for your own back it's not about you keep marching towards the promised land and eventually you'll be published. As I don't know fuck all about publishing, really. I, I know it can be irritating, especially to hear sort of middle class white dudes going, oh, I don't really know how I got all these opportunities. They just kind of I just kind of stumbled into them, you know, privilege disguised behind <laughs> sort of like apologetic bumbling a kind of smoke screen of haplessness right like i i get that because i've been to university and did an ma and that meant that i had some contacts that there may be all sorts of webs of people who knew people that have jostled me along a little bit and doing poetry i certainly knew some you know books adjacent people quite a few people so I I definitely had some help getting my work in front of people um you know I had to write poems I had to turn up I had to do that work but it was you know the the tracks were certainly greased um to help the minecart of my career such as it is trundle the extra few yards forward um and i I was really helped by that the the question is what you want out of writing and why you're doing it and that's really fucking easy and smug for someone to say if they're getting paid 
a living wage to do it, right? You go, well, if you like it, you should be happy being published by a micro publisher. And it's hard if you're writing something that isn't what a lot of readers want. If you're doing something experimental or difficult or, or it just doesn't seem to resonate with people. And, and that, or if, you know, or if you're writing about it's got better, like people's willingness to read about characters who are, are, are members of some marginalised group or, or another. That's something that I think the audience was always there for, but publishers were very leery of sharing and because of the lack of diversity in the industry, in the people who were commissioning and selling these books, um, they didn't know how to communicate that to the audiences who were always there, who desperately wanted to read them. And it's it can be hard because sometimes the thing that's in your heart that you want to write just happens to be very commercial and, 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 and you're able, with the help of an agent and editor, to make your writing readable and you can you some people genuinely can write what's in their you know their most the thing that just sings to the deepest part of their heart they can write and it happens to resonate and tessellate with an audience and they can make money out of it and that's kind of great and validating and wonderful and for other people the stuff that they want to write the, you know there can be deficits in craft and that's always a possible look, look michael let's not let's not i i don't want to like go let's not assume i noticed that you've said people don't about talk about how in it in any creative industry you could have the single best piece of art ever created and unless you get exceptionally lucky you won't break through i think that's bollocks <laughs> i mean i'm like that is that's bullshit I, I'm sure that there have been wicked books that are in some way niche that struggle to find an audience. I'm sure that exceptional bad luck could keep just a brilliant novel from reaching readers. But the single best piece of art ever created, let's imagine it's not the single best piece of art ever created, but let's imagine it's like one of the 50 best novels written that year. Then you'll find a publisher, you will find a publisher, like agents and they want, they fucking want these books. Like it might not sell super well. Like there's like luck is a big variable. Luck is a big variable. I do not think that just because something's brilliant, it will always get to loads of readers and sell really well. I also think that brilliance isn't always what readers want. Can I, I actually want to read another bit from my book before I go any further? Because I spoke to this author, my favourite living author, Steve Elliott, for We Can't All Be Astronauts years ago. And he's someone who I just think is this terrific, terrific, amazingly talented, original, interesting, ambitious, experimental, but very readable author. Sometimes challenging to read, 
but not in some deliberately obscure, pretentious way. Like, a lot of his work is very funny as well and kind of, like, has goofy slapstick elements, you know, jokes about badgers and snot and stuff, as well as, like, you know, really piercing political satire and very poignant bits and it's some really great science fiction and some great fantasy and and yet he's not found a mainstream audience so this might i thought this might be pertinent so i spoke to him a little bit uh, about and this is this is um, um this is what he told me quote i'm very into originality which is not a valued commodity at large Many people will say they crave originality, but the moment they're faced with it in reality, it becomes clear they really, really don't. I think some make the claim because they never expect to be called on it. Others don't realise how they really feel about it until that moment. When people decree that there's nothing new under the sun and then you present them with something new, they retreat to a default position which tells a lot about the person. For many, it's a fuzzy blankness. The funniest is a withering superiority. It makes sense, though, because creativity is the bringing into being of something that wasn't there before. Originality, in other words. Not the duplication of something that's been seen before. Genuine creativity is originality. But because it hasn't existed before, people don't have a slot of the right shape to fit it into in their minds. There are no receptors. So it feels uncomfortable in an obscure way, like it's antimatter or something. Like a new colour you can't see directly until you get used to it. I've wondered why people aren't just honest about wanting the same old Martin Amis, Geoffrey Archer, Tom Clancy, Don DeLillo, Zadie Smith and other literary flat earthers. I mean, it's not a crime, but I've realised they're sort of lying to themselves about it too, so they claim they want originality. I'd prefer honesty about this. It would avoid confusion and wasted time. It's taken years for me to accept that most people really do prefer more of the same, because it just seems so insulting to them, but I finally had to believe it. And then <laughs> I, 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 an end quote. And then, and then I, I write, I knew Steve felt very strongly on this subject. In one interview I'd read, he'd castigated serial killers, not for murder, but on the grounds that they were, quote, boring, adding, quote, why do the same thing repeatedly, end quote. At the same time, his lumping together of Zadie Smith and Jeffrey Archer suggested to me that he hadn't read very much of either. Quote, for a lot of writers, the industry works a bit like aversion therapy, so that creativity becomes associated with pain and lack, so the writer's no longer feeding after it. Why would he? You can maybe get it back by disengaging completely from the publishing world for a long time, but I don't know. I'm now in a cycle of going, so long you suckers, quitting the day job, being only a, a writer for a while, then slouching back again. It can get wearing, working, but having still having no money for basics, seeing piss-poor empty books being hailed, people defaulting to the bland every time. eBay and Amazon's buy-used button have eliminated author royalties. End quote. Sometimes Steve wished he had chosen a different career entirely. Quote, some sort of ichthyologist would be interesting. Marine biologist. Swimming, dolphin, women, blowfish everything a man could want end quote so you know you're not alone in finding parts of writing sometimes like really dispiriting to the point of going there's nothing in here for me and i suppose the question you know and i'm talking addressing you michael now is is what 
you want out of it. You say specifically you want a, you like to have a goal. I'm doing this with this piece of writing. It depends like I how whether you think that the work you're doing is going to whether you think the work you're doing is always going to be so experimental that it's always going to exist slightly orthogonally from the mainstream of creative writing in which case you might need to think about alternate funding pipelines whether that's through well in the UK it's the Arts Council there are different organisations it might be that you're able to through things like Patreon get support from people people who can you know you might there's other ways you know patronage in the kind of like old sense of having kind of some rich donor that helps you do these things becoming a sort of writer in residence somewhere um teaching alongside writing uh, working in the academic world alongside your writing all of these things are ways that we've found to support people who are writing things that maybe are less commercially viable and i sounds like i'm I know it sounds like I'm treading carefully and, you know, I'm trying to avoid saying something insulting about them, but I genuinely don't think that. I, I, I love a lot of very challenging experimental works. I love the work of the Ulipo. We did a couple of gigs with the French experimental literature group, the Ulipo. I've got a copy of Paul Fournel, the president of the Ulipo's uh, book on my desk that I ordered last week. I... A, a, a lot of experimental fiction is actually not very difficult to read. I I actually really really enjoyed Life for Users manual by Georges Perec. It's a it's a really easy readable book. It's the experiments it's doing are in the background, and a lot of stuff that gets called experimental literature is actually very playful, and it's no more sort of like pretentious in terms of its experimentation than you know like the old animation claymation animation series of like morph was experimental because you have a character who can get who's who's tiny made out of plasticine and if you splat him with your hand he can move back into shape and he can turn into a ball and bounce around you could go like wow they're like playing with the idea of what it is to be alive because this character can it's about the protagonist can turn into a sphere and can pass through solid objects like a table. And he doesn't speak in English. He speaks in a boo-boo-boo-boo voice, which in this series of shapeless phonemes. Yeah, like explained like that, it can seem pretentious, but it's not really. And I think a lot of stuff that gets called experimental is actually often really playful. In the same way a lot of performance artists often gets talked about as if it's incredibly pretentious. And then you see the performance and it's entertaining and funny it's just not stand or you know it's just interesting it's not stand-up it's not a play so it exists it's not dance necessarily it exists in this space between all those genres but it's not pretentious it's not someone going look at how incredibly clever I am they're just existing in the space between worlds I can't change what the industry wants but have you been honest with yourself like is your writing good or is it is there something holding back your skill level, you know, I, you know, is your writing good? Is it excellent? Now, I'm not, I'm not falling into that trap of going like, well, if someone isn't, you know, selling bucket loads, they must be shit. I'm not saying that. 
But what are the limiting factors here? Are that you because you have a false belief in this? You go in any creative industry, you could have the single best piece of art ever created. Unless you get exceptionally lucky, you won't break through the crowds of other artists. Bollocks. That is just not true, Michael. If you write a really good novel, then you will find an agent. You might be like desperately unlucky. You know, they might pitch it to people and it goes at the wrong hits at the wrong time. Someone leaves a company and the contract you were supposed to have falls through. Someone has just pitched something very, very, very similar at the same time. But I don't believe that you could write multiple just sublimely brilliant novels and not find some measure of success. I just don't think that that's true. You, you I mean, there, there have... There, there have been people in history who like wrote a brilliant book and sent it out and at the time it wasn't recognised and then they die and then years later it's published. But even then, actually, sometimes you read those books and you go, well, it's all right. Like, it's quite good. It's not it's not a work of unbelievable genius. And and yes, you know, there, there are authors who went on to be hugely successful who some publishers turned down, but then it's just really unheard of for every single publisher you submit to 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 accept you know some publishers and editors will not commission something because it's not their cup of tea and they don't want to work with books that they don't personally love right so it's not about always about commercial viability as well it's often about personal taste i know there are always exceptions but as a general rule right quality does do pretty well maybe not maybe quality is a bit too nebulous because it can be to do with commercial viability as well and whether people love it and whether it fits well within the genre. You know, like someone, a, a romance imprint is never, ever, no matter how brilliant it is, going to publish your hard science fiction novel about, you know, ore mining on Neptune. It, it could be amazing. It could be very engaging the science could be spot on the characters could be really really nuanced and the prose could be absolutely incredible but if they're a romance publisher they're not going to publish it but i just think like that the tone of that that like you could you could be writing amazing stuff and there's so much competition that you're never getting it get in it just doesn't it doesn't like what who the fuck do you think i am like how do you think i got published like it certainly wasn't by being amazing but if there's all that all those how wait hang on there's this crowds of other artists all hoping to break through so how how did this shit muncher here a guy who grew up in like a you know a rural town in the arse end of in buttfuck nowhere um I, I my you know I don't my parents aren't don't have any connections with the literary world I know I've had like bits of luck here and there but the idea that there's all that competition and then and then and then Tim Clare squirts through and and is now is now five books deep like come on I would suggest that, like, the fact that I've been published should tell you that any twat can get... Can, any Muppet can get published. It's, like, not a badge of honour. It's, like... 
Like what? May, what about the publishing world? Like, let, let me put it this way: a lot of people in publishing have shit taste. A lot of readers have shit taste. Search your heart. You know this to be true. If that is the case, then who's to say? Why shouldn't you, at some point, just by the law of averages, be the beneficiary of this ubiquitous shit taste? That that I mean, is is your take that? You're because because here's the tone that sometimes co- comes across in this, and I, I tell you why I'm feeling this, Michael. It's because it's something I've felt, and so I'm project. This is projection onto you. It was this is how I felt. It's like, actually, am I too beautiful to live? Am I so good that I'll never be understood in my time? Am I actually writing stuff of such genius, and the world is so dull witted that the reason I'm, that's it's, you know it is the it's the vanity of the last sane man, right? That we're going, my work, maybe my work is so brilliant that it's net can't survive in today's crass marketplace. I'm not a celebrity and my work isn't easy, sort of porridgey nothingness. I'm actually challenging people. But I, I wrote a poem once that had the that had a sort of poet having a breakdown after they had written a lot of silly poems and they tried to go serious and it has the line humans want anaesthetists not raw transgressive art and and it was kind of a parody of me <laughs> to a certain extent this idea that like you just you just want you just want to be coddled but but I'm bringing something that's genuinely challenging and that's why the literary world doesn't understand me. There's a lot of shit published and some of that is definitely published because of who somebody knows or the platform, more likely the platform that they have, right? So it's not so much that they know someone who knows someone, it's that they're a YouTuber, they're a celebrity in some other field and so their fan base will buy the book. So it's not like they've got a secret connection that they're going to get their book out via. It's more that the book is going to sell. There's a lot of there's a lot of shit that gets published, but there's a lot of good books that get published as well. And there's lots of and then there's stuff that I don't consider good, but other people do. Like not every book is written for me. So to come back to your question do I have any thoughts on when to give up on writing I can't tell you that the publishing industry it's like it depends what you want are you saying that you will only consider yourself a success you imply you know you've had multiple books published by micro publishers but I'm not making any real progress what does real progress look like for you do you want a novel to come out do you want multiple novels do you want a multi-book contract what would that what does real progress look like for you are you being reviewed do you have a, a platform what what would a career in writing look like for you what kind of content would you be producing are you doing fiction non-fiction poetry because those are very different career trajectories how how would you develop you know who's out there already that you go well that here's a path that someone's taken that i'd like to be the same or or are you imagining that you'd forge a completely new sort of way of working that there aren't currently any good models for which is okay if that's what you want to do as long as you're honest about that you know that you're clear that like it's like well there's not re- not really anyone do- doing anything in this space and here's what i would be doing 
but maybe just that's the first thing is like what does progress look what are the tangible things that you would need to 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 be experiencing progress and and then where do you go from there like say you've achieved all that then where do you go from there like what has that given you that you don't have already to that are you looking for and, and like, what are you what's the payoff you're looking for as well i suppose like i suppose the uh, there's you know you can think of the financial one you know how much money do you need to be making to feel like you're making progress you can think of the like the emotional and kind of like psychological ones as well like what uh, how are you hoping it for it, it's going to change your sense of yourself because some people you know they want to write to have that sense of satisfaction or to validate something in themselves which is okay as long as you're honest about that and then maybe you can look and see if writing is indeed the best way of going about that i i got i've got told a lot in every aspect of writing that i've done be it journalism poetry uh writing for video games fiction non-fiction by people who are not actually in the industry how incredibly difficult it is and how almost no one does it and it, and it turns out that a lot of that comes the, the 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 people who aren't in the industry are not great barometers of how difficult it is to break into that industry and it was actually a lot easier than all those people said I'm going to say, Michael, on what basis are you saying in any creative industry you could have the single best piece of art ever created and unless you get exceptionally lucky you won't break through the crowds of other artists? Um, on what basis are you making that statement? Do you, do you work in publishing? Are you a bookseller? No? So, is it a guess... <laughs> that's my I think you might have undue confidence in your own ability to make a generalization about all creative industries I'm sure like I would never want to fucking go into acting I think I'd find that brutal I'm sure there are all sorts of um there are all sorts of uh quirks about uh, you know the art world and people suddenly having their their work in their galleries being you know valued by you know celebrities start buying it and suddenly it's worth millions or whatever i'm sure that there are there's stuff like that and uh, maybe the i think publishing is a little less volatile than that but certainly books can get picked up and then catch on and be in the right place at the right time and get a fair wind behind them but that doesn't mean that people who are sort of mid-listers whose work just does all right don't have a a career and i i, th I think you've got some odd ideas about how publishing works I, but for me look I was miserable while I wasn't producing anything and I wasn't getting anywhere and, I, and it, it turned into sort of envy and jealousy of my peers and my friends and and other writers and I felt very resentful and very down also I had depression which I hadn't really properly figured out that I had and I had anxiety and I had a drinking problem and I hadn't dealt with any of those things and I was projecting it all onto writing and I'd been I'd gone through a really painful breakup and moved back in with my parents and I wasn't near any of my friends and I was miserable and I was looking uh, for writing to validate myself and uh, help me have a career and lift me out of all these different problems that I had and, and here's where I'm going to go into the weird spiritual 
nonsense, really. And I, I, I would like to, you know, just draw a, a sort of small box around all of the, what I'm about to say and that it's fine to think it's nonsense. It may well be sophistry. But I found in my life, and maybe this is kind of like a post hoc rationalisation, I talked about the, you know, drivers and people thinking that the world's fair and people ascribing agency to things where it doesn't exist. And that may all be true of this. I can only speak for myself and how it feels, which may be wrong. But when I've given myself to a book fully, regardless of how well that book has done, it has changed my life, often profoundly. It's looking back it's often had key had key transformative effects on my life and that appears to be no different on the book I'm working on at the moment I think when you give yourself to a project utterly we can't all be astronauts did not do very well at the book I didn't get very much money for uh for publishing it and it didn't sell very many copies my editor left before it was published um, my agent and I've talked about this and I don't want to make out that this is a piece of my misfortune but my my agent passed away before it came out as well she you know she took her own life um which obviously you know I just completely kind of overshadows any kind of like oh oh I didn't want to really be engaging with anyone about the book after that because she was also a friend and I cared about her very much and I miss her. But the book, you know, the book didn't do very well. However, it was read by somebody who I ended up being in contact with, who went on to become my wife, who we fell in love with each other. And so everything that I've got now and the room I'm speaking to you from in my entire life, such as it is, grew out of writing that book. So it didn't really matter that it that I didn't make progress with it, you know, that the industry didn't really reward me for writing it. Because it was about something that I cared about and I it just did things. And I made friends from writing the honours, sort of by accident people who it brought me in contact with who and now some of the my best, most valued friends in my life. Now, the honours did, you know, find an audience and did do much better. And, and, and so that's a sort of different situation again. But, you know, some of the stuff around it and, and also just writing the honours, researching things like country houses and the outdoors and the countryside and, and types of trees and stuff. I started going on lots of walks and I became an outdoorsy person, which was really weird and kind of changed me in different ways. And and then and then I've written this book on anxiety that's coming out next year and that profoundly changed my life, writing that. And the things I did for it, because it's non-fiction. The stuff I pursued in service of writing it you just wouldn't believe how it genuinely 
it's no exaggeration i kind of don't want to talk about it too much because it's not out yet but it's it actually helped me in in some like pretty profound ways like it radically changed some parts of my life and the book is now and nobody and it might be read by nobody you know the people that i send it off to 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 blurb it might go or go fuck off don't want to read it and it might be read by no one but those changes are permanent you know they're, they're that's something i've been through and, and and all of the best things about writing this is what i really was i'm getting onto, michael all of the best most valuable things that writing have given, given me my wife my daughter friendships self-understanding relief from the worst parts of my mental illness discovery enjoyment of creation I'm fuck all to do with the industry the least important I mean like the salary is a really important is important but you can achieve a salary in other ways right so it is of course if i didn't have a roof over my head if i couldn't afford food that would be incredibly important to me if we're going from a kind of maslow's hierarchy of needs style model although maslow's hierarchy of needs let's just a little sidetrack here abraham maslow you know that's not experimentally validated he just proposed that he i've got a book of Maslow's essays on my desk and he also proposed that people with better eyesight are more psychologically healthy and as a former spectacles where I object to that but he talked a lot of bollocks right um but clearly like if I didn't have the basics then that food and shelter and being able to pay for medicine and stuff like that um, offer me then I would be miserable so I, I don't discount that but I'm just saying I could get that from data entry or teaching or all sorts of different things so that's always available to me that's not re- that's not really the the key things that I got out of it that I couldn't have got from anywhere else which are to do with the self-discovery and the friendships the connections and the pleasure of creating and, and and the industry has never been able to give me any of those things and i'm really grateful for all the people who frankly put up with me this slightly volatile character in in terms of publishing my books because i'm i'm sure just like a fucking tedious wretch to work with i mean i'm so highly strung sometimes um it must be more more akin to babysitting than anything else but you know, I'm, it's it's a it's a real privilege and pleasure to work with them and for them to give me a, a platform. But the things that matter have all been very small things about people, and where I've decided to focus my attention. And look, if you are getting some very big, well, that's all very well for you to say style energy off this i totally understand uh michael and 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 perhaps i'm dripping with hypocrisy here i'm willing to concede that i I just want to say that everything i value or the vast majority of things that i value the hierarchy of things that i value that i've got out of writing have had nothing to do with being published at all and they're all to do with 
the, the direction it's made me focus my life, the, the people it's got me to speak to, the rabbit holes I've gone down of research, the opportunities to be creative, the sentences that I've written that I've looked back and gone, oh, that's neat. The stories I've got to tell in my head, the characters I've got to bring to life. The publishing industry didn't give me those things. It just kind of underwrote them. So I think, right, so a a kind of couple of practical things. One, I think you need to take a very honest inventory of how good is my, like how good is my writing like is this the you know can it can it be made better like am i peaking in terms of skill and quality or can i level up and if you can level up how could you do that could you join a writing group could you start setting yourself more reading and, and aim to read writers who you want to be more like and making notes on them can you perform a can you can you evaluate your own work and look at where you think an honest kind of inventory of, of your strengths and weaknesses as a writer and where you could improve? Can you do that? Can you level up there? You know, can you put push yourself to try and experiment and, and, and with your voice and what kind of stuff are you writing? Are there you know, are there things that you could write that maybe um I'm not asking you to water down your artistic vision, but you know, have you got any ideas in the hopper that are what you know are any of them? What's the which ones of them are closest to something that might be a bit more fit the shape of kind of commercial things that might be publishable? Secondly, you know, what are you doing this for? What does progress look like you to you look like to you? Because you said I'm not making any real progress. What does progress look like to you, and what are you measuring it against? What, how much money do you need to be making? How, how do you want to feel about yourself? How, you know, do you need to be published by a certain publisher or, you, you know, in a certain number of countries? That's all fine. I'm not saying that's like, I'm not like going, well, when will you be satisfied when you've been published in six countries? No, like having a number of territories that would look, feel like progress to you is fine. I'm, that's practical. It's not silly at all. Do, you know, work that out. What's it look like? Because otherwise you don't have any metric of knowing whether you're succeeding or failing. Um, Thirdly, I just like you. Whenever you're not writing, you you're giving up. You're 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 kind of at rest. Like it's, it's, you can't quit to anyone. You can't hand in your notice. There's no boss of writing who hires and fires you. Whenever you're not writing, you're not writing. Whenever you are writing, you are writing. That's it. So you were saying, when should I? like formally denounce writing and sever my connection from it. I think that's just like an unnecessarily performative way of stopping. Like it's as simple as not doing it. I, I, I you know, That's it. You know, you just don't, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But... I think, you know, and a lot of what you're talking about is like you're being motivated towards extrinsic goals, right? You do, you want to do, you enjoy having a goal for the things that you're doing. You say, you know, I enjoy having a goal for the things I'm painting. Well, we know from research that when people try to work towards extrinsic goals, 
like praise money uh, acclaim critical uh, valuations prizes and stuff they feel much less motivated and they feel much less happy than when they are able to do work for intrinsic motivation for the joy of discovery um for challenging themselves that sort of thing now easier said than done of course uh, i'm not suggesting that you need to kind of purity test yourself on this we've all got everyone likes validation from our peers approval acceptance that's not i'm not suggesting you need to perfectly kind of like divest yourself of any desire for money acclaim or fame at all what i'm suggesting is whatever you pursue if you pursue it with that kind of attitude i think you will be miserable and you will burn out and the choice is yours really if you think creative writing is something that you would like to explore on a kind of like intimate level getting to know it getting to know yourself for those reasons then i'd advocate you do that purely on those terms if it's not then why not you know try something else you know try exercise try some kind of spiritual practice or meditation try you know learning a martial art or teaching or something or you know learning cookery or something that you can do for its own sake i think that's going to give you the most pleasure and it's hard it's not easy to do things just for their own sake it's like i said it's easier said than done and i think it's not an either or but you know trying to shift the balance towards intrinsic motivation is probably a good idea if you want to get the most out of it but i wouldn't make yourself like writing will always be here for you if you want to do it but if you're seeing writing as this kind of bread riot just this crowd of people around the back of a van with kind of lows being handed out the back and people jostling and eye gouging for them i think look there's and the publishing industry has loads of flaws and can be i get frustrated with it just like anyone else and i feel i feel ungrateful like who am i to to have complaints you know like i'm so entitled what an awful person but it is difficult and it's difficult in a way that like some other jobs aren't necessarily and it it can be precarious in a way that other some other jobs aren't and this idea that like if you can't stick it you don't deserve to be here is is horrible because it suggests that workers don't deserve good working conditions they should just be grateful and accept what they get when the publishing industry is massively skewed in terms of effort and reward around a few people so I, I agree with you to that extent but the i uh, i just i'm always my antennae start rising um not in a sex way but just i i, I certainly become nervous when somebody is telling me about very cynically about how dreadful the publishing industry is while also discussing their own frustrations at not getting published and they say nothing good can get published these days or it's very unlikely to unless you're really jammy uh and they don't work in the publishing industry i just always go well, you know I, I don't 
I don't want to see your work to to judge it, Michael, but I'm just like, how confident are you that your work is so fucking good that the thing that's been holding you back has been pure luck? Also, like, because I genuinely, if someone, I, I, I don't doubt that discrimination exists as well. So, like, I, you know, it's got, it's got, the situation's got better with, well, you know, women to start with. You know, there was just so many blokes won prizes. Now we're slowly improving on on women, and then we're we're trying to work to have have more writers from marginalised backgrounds get published get space get talked about and and, and look I, I, again and there are loads of those writers now be getting the space and attention that they deserve and readerships are raving about their work and that's fantastic so i, I don't want to make it out that like anyone who has any complaints about the publishing industry is, is just a bit shit and needs to get good but I think the first place I would be looking, because it's the place you've got control over, right? Your locus of control does centre around your your own work. Are you sh- are you sure it's really good? If it's not, do you really want to get published? Because the publishing industry has low standards, would you would you prefer changing the playing field, so that quite shit work could get published? that your quite shit work get published, or would you rather see this as an opportunity, as this kind of squeeze point that forces you to evolve? So when you do get published, you're going to be getting published with like work that you've fucking just, you've taken to the gym and just it's just bonked and then it's got ripped and it's just this absolutely, this glistening wolf of a novel this absolutely dirty bastard of a fiction book that is going to just take every reader and rip their throat out because it's been caged for so long and it had to fight off so many other books and everyone who reads it is going to go it's going to read it and, and and end reading it breathless and go holy shit this is the juice i have to tell three people about this because those kind of books will find a way they will spread like a virus and, and and nothing and no one can suppress them. And the question is, like, do you want to try and make your writing like that? Like, try and seize control of it? Or do you just... Because, or you can tell yourself a story that nothing can really properly get published because everyone's a shithead. Or you can, like, use that resentment... Because you can tell yourself that and use that as a way of not having to write anything. And that's probably a, a nice relief. Or you can just, like, fucking go okay i'm gonna write something so shit hot that i'm just gonna i'm gonna just like write a book and then i'm gonna pick up that book and i'm gonna punch the publishing world in the fucking smug face with it over and over because it's gonna be so good and everyone's gonna fucking love this and you can see probably now why I had a breakdown because I approached things going, right, I'm going to write a book that's going to get everyone. No, that's not a healthy way of approaching things either. But like, I think you have to focus on what you can control. And if you don't want to write, just don't. Like, You don't have to quit. You don't have to formally resign. You don't have to abdicate. Just don't. It's fine. 
Nobody will notice. People don't do stuff all the time. You you know more have to give up writing than you have to give up formally renounce logging or being a frogman. Like like you're not going to do those things either. Neither are you going to like no one. No one's noticing when you go down the the, the street that. You're not learning conversational Mandarin. You don't have to formally give up that. You, you're just not doing it. And you're not writing. That's fine. You don't have to give up. You don't... Like, it's it. It's not... It's not like a part work that you have to collect. It's not like Magic the Gathering where you've got to, like, buy a certain number of cards every cycle, otherwise you fall out of the meta. Like, you, you, you can't... You're not going to, like, become obsolete like you'll still be written in English. Like you, you're not going to go. Oh, I haven't updated my software now. I'm not going to be able to write a novel. Like it'll always be there for you. You can always write in a book. Like if you want to. Like don't sweat that. But the the question is like, like what 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 kind of level of effort are you expecting, and, and, and what can you be asked to do, and how good do you want your work to be? Do you want to be allowed in because you wrote something that was kind of like. 60% of what you could do or do you think that there are some other dimensions in your writing that you could reach and yes yeah, some fucking shit munchers get published with kind of like half-assed books and, and and sell a bunch of copies so fucking so fucking what do you, what, do you want to be one of them or do you want to write something good like it's fine like it, it would would I mean like aren't would you genuinely like to be able to write just like be one of the people who gonna get waved through and isn't pushed to write well and writes a load of shite and 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 people read it and then that person will die and then those people will just move on to something else because they don't really mind they just want to like a, a story and they're not really bothered who writes it because you could do that if you want I'm sure that there's ways that you could kind of like influence your way and be careful what you wish for you know maybe you will get some in some kind of sphere of influence that allows you to open doors easier than other people or would you like to write something good because if it's the latter then fucking why why are you sat here listening to me you should be working on being a better writer that's open to you now that's entirely under your control and you can tell yourself the myth that you know you can write the best novel in the world and unless you're incredibly lucky it'll never see the light of day well i would wait until you have written the best novel in the world or even just one of the top hundred ones that year before you're able to confidently state that otherwise it sounds like a little bit of an excuse is what i'm suggesting like we why are we even talking now let's get writing if you'd like to you know it's it's who cares and like uh, the other thing is like all of like all of this is like no you think about what was it what was a best-selling novel uh 120 years ago name one of the top 10 you probably can't i've i've read through kind of the bestseller lists for like the past century and i recognized very except for the last 20 years recognized very few of the author names and very few of the titles and those were the best-selling novels those years we work in an ephemeral industry you might as well accept that now same with movies I, I you know i used to do performance poetry something that exists only in that moment with that audience and then it's gone you're drawing in smoke I, I i don't i don't know 
what kind of Ozymandias style like graven tablets you're expecting to create with this. We're just trying to reach out in the inky black void and grasp another hand and for that moment our hand to feel theirs and their hand to feel ours and there be a point of connection. That's it, that's the whole job. Fucking navigating the courtesans and multi-layered bureaucracy of the publishing industry is like the most boring part of it. Just, if there's a story inside you and you want to write that, do that. If you don't, you don't have to quit. You don't have to commit harakiri. There's no ritual creative writing disemboweling you have to do. Just don't do it. It's fine. Eat an apple. You will get more joy and satisfaction out of eating a sweet apple with no one disturbing you and letting yourself feel it and feeling grateful for being alive than you will writing a novel because you want approval. Go for a swim in a lovely lake that's cool. You'll get so much more pleasure out of that. It's like a lovely thing and it doesn't. it's no effort to it. This idea like, how can I break down these walls so I can finally achieve the thing? But don't. See some friends. Watch a movie that you really like. Eat a chocolate bar. Go for a nice walk. If there's one or more people who are up for it, have sex all of these things are just not the conditions for happiness are so available and they are not contingent on whether Matilda in marketing thinks that your novel is viable in the current publishing climate you know Why are you gatekeeping your own joy? There's no point. <laughs> Life's way too short. It won't be there for you. It's... We can talk... Writing is can be such a closed shop that we can kind of start talking about it as the be-all and end-all. And, and really, you know, as a dad, like, being with my daughter is so much better than any book-based thing I've ever done. Like, all of it seems a bit silly compared to that. But it's not... You know, it's no more silly than playing a board game. You know, like, I, I love playing games with my friends. But I wouldn't think, like, winning or losing is the balance scale upon which my well-being rests. The point is, is if playing the game with all your heart well and throwing yourself into it and... God, and just getting into the tactics and the strategy and fuck you and and really laughing as you kind of like double cross someone or you or just really enjoying building up your farm or whatever you're doing you kind of like do it with your whole heart but you just know that it's a game right 
and it's the same with writing it's like I, it's maybe these things are in, yeah. i i love when i'm producing the books the ways that they transform my life are uh, genuinely transformative it's so important to me but the publishing politics and all that it's just just forget it it doesn't matter you're going to be so miserable if you're successful and you think that's going to be the point it's my favorite favorite moment in the old 70s version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory at the end of the movie Charlie don't forget what happened to the boy who suddenly got what he'd always wanted What's that? He lived happily ever after. No, he didn't. He realised that the future which he'd been hoping for, which he'd been postponing his joy on the basis that when it came he would finally be allowed to let himself like himself, did not give him any of the emotional relief that he expected and he hit a massive low as he realised that life was just continuing. Only now he'd lost the sense of purpose that had been driving him forward. And he sank into a depression and a state of kind of atavistic terror um, because the god of achievement that he'd believed in was dead and he had killed him. Just be kind to yourself. I know it's not easy... But writing is not gonna writing is not gonna get you out of this pit. You can do it lovingly for excitement. But look, I've spoken to writers, you know, professional writers on this show who, you know, either on in our interview or once the mics are off afterwards, you know, I talk to me and they are not happy. They're not. They're not kind to themselves necessarily they're not it's not solved their problems right it's not stopped their sense of the sucking chest wound of self-doubt i think all you can do is is turn up to the nice things in life you know i went to the seaside with my daughter yesterday it was lovely don't have to be a writer to do that i wasn't being authorly while i was there wasn't looking around at people going, I wonder if they got a publishing contract. Who gives a shit? It's silly. And and you become one of those people having like academic disputes who think themselves really important because and, and these tiny, tiny little faculty politics and stuff, these shrinkingly navel gazing jostling for the approval of peers. And it's just like don't be that person. Be the, be the audience member who can like look look out and enjoy the show rather than feeling that like the only way you can be happy is being the show. And then, you know, maybe you'll write something. And maybe, maybe, maybe it'll, you know, you'll send it to an agent they love it and you get to work on it and stuff, but it, it will come out of love. And you won't have felt like you're shitting broken glass the entire time. You might enjoy the process. And that's the only point of doing writing is if you kind of like enjoy it a little bit, right? Because otherwise there are just easier ways. To, if you want to just be miserable and make money, there are easier ways to be miserable and make money. I'm sure you're intelligent enough to qualify for quite a lot of those ways to be miserable and making money. So the question is, like, if you're going to do it, 
can we at least find ways of enjoying it? And the thing is, you can then have complete control over doing it, whether you find an audience or not. And you can take steps to try and make work that's better quality as well. But you don't have to ever give up because there's no one to quit to. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can go onto my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare and drop me a few beans. That allows me to keep my personal dream going, which is being able to do this podcast while uh, working as a writer and being a dad to a beautiful little girl. And it helps me keep the lights on, pay for my hosting costs and all of that good stuff. I hope you're well. I hope that that was sort of a gentle and... um compassionate kick in the um, seat of the pants and also just a big embrace however you're feeling and however imperfectly you're navigating your life including the field of writing it, it's okay like we we all have different days where we feel different ways about writing we're all going to do it suboptimally and you I, please don't take the standard of trying to enjoy it as like another standard that you're then failing at and a reason to criticize yourself I just say, you know, we can always make decisions to turn towards the things that we know are nurturing and helpful. Even as we kind of fail, we can go, well, what's a step towards that? What's the next good thing that I can do to move me towards being a bit more positive towards my writing? What's the next positive step I can do? And sometimes that's sitting down and reading a book, a novel, just having a little read of someone else's work with no further desire than just sort of refilling the tank sometimes it's doing 10 minutes of, of writing of kind of nonsense sometimes it's writing a little bit of the thing you're working on while accepting that it's not going to be perfect all of those things are kind of good and they're all like pennies in the piggy bank um but a lot of the time it's going to see your friends having some rest phoning your mum and telling her you love her or phoning whoever in your life whether they're a given family or whether they're the family that you've made for yourself contacting those people and telling them honestly that you love them or appreciate them or if you uh, prefer that you like them or asking to just meet up with them and hang out that's the good stuff and then when you're not writing from a, a, a place of lack and need and desperation right you can feel all those things, but if you're trying to write because it's the only means you can envisage of overcoming those things, then writing will become associated and shot through with all of those things and it will make you miserable. If you can accept those feelings and write just from writing not, writing not owing you things, but writing as a place where you can refill and play, then it will reward you. This is kind of a spiritual practice in some ways. I'm not, not being pretentious about it, but I think it is, you know. There's some ways we've got to think about it that way. Anyway, I love you very much and I hope that you're looking after yourself. You deserve it and you're wonderful. Take care. Please take care. It's going to be all right. We'll, we'll find our way through this. It'll be all right. Thank you for listening and I wish you a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>